You're listening to Family Rules, the podcast on BYU Radio, inspiring ideas, inspiring families. Hey there, everybody. It's Brooke Walker, host of Family Rules, the podcast. You are in for a seriously sparkly treat today. And I don't use those words, those adjectives lightly. Our guest today is children's artist and illustrator, Sarah Jane Wright. Personal note here, I was a fan of Sarah Jane's work long before I knew her, before I met her, before I even had the hopes and glimpses of becoming a parent myself. She has a way through her work of capturing the innocence and the magic of childhood, and she's expressed those works through paintings, through printables, through fabric. Her illustrations are delightful, and she is delightful as well. The topic on the table today, how to create a curious home. That word curious is underexplored, and I think, frankly, undervalued curiosity. When was the last time you felt sheer curiosity? I'm not talking about reaching for a device to fire up a Google search, but really thinking and pondering and letting that spark work within you. Sarah Jane has some fantastic ideas on how parents can bring this to the home front. Listen in to hear how she specifically says we should respond to that dreaded phrase parents hear, mom, I'm bored. She has a brilliant comeback, backed by research, of course. She also has some interesting thoughts and ideas on the role technology can play in our creative pursuits as parents. And she'll set the scene, as in give us suggestions on how we can physically foster this curiosity and creativity in our surroundings, in our home, and also on our family calendar. I loved this conversation. I was frantically taking notes and then realizing, hey, we have it here to record and play back. I hope, I think you'll like it as much as I did. Here's Sarah Jane Wright on how to create a curious home. Sarah Jane Wright, thank you for jumping in to the Family Rules podcast and our conversation today. We've already been girl gabbing a little bit before the before the recording, and I just love the chance, any chance, to catch up with you and, and feel your spark and feel your light. How are you? Oh, we are doing great. How about you, Brooke? Doing good. I mean, all things considered, we should acknowledge that the point of this conversation, at the time of this conversation, we're still kind of shaking out of, you know, just a little pandemic or something that's that's captured our lives and changed our lives. It's dragging so on. <laughs> I know. And I think that might come up as we dive into today's topic of curiosity and creativity. And truly, I'm not saying this because I'm talking to you and you're hearing me say it. It isn't just lip service. I can't think of a better person to talk about the subject of creativity and curiosity in the home than you. Was this always, I mean, as an artist, you're a creative person. Was creativity a natural strength of yours when you set out to become a mother? I mean, I was, I've always been a creative person. My mom jokes around that she would go shopping for clothes, you know, in the eighties. And I was the one picking up little random things on the floor and turning them into paper dolls, you know, while she would shop. And I was always thinking of ways that I could, you know, make the world more beautiful, or I was always curious about nature. And I I've been an artist since I can remember. And so I think as a mother, obviously it was really important to me, but I started to ask myself questions because I didn't necessarily grow up with parents that way. Mm. That's how I saw the world. So as a parent, I, I was pretty, you know, conscientious and deliberate about how I uh, brought that into my parenting. My husband's also an educator. So we had a lot of conversations before even kids came around of what we wanted our family life to look like. So it was thoughtful. It was a designated pursuit as parents to make sure yeah. that was part of your home. 
It definitely was. And I think that's hopeful for people like me. And I know we're not supposed to say I'm not artistic, I'm not creative, and I I won't go that far, but, you know, I'm not an an artist by profession. And so I think there does have to be that consciousness. How am I pulling this in? How am I weaving this in to my daily life? And so I want to dissect how you do it in your home. And one thing that jumps out immediately is you aren't a mom who's afraid of messes. (laughs) That's for sure. You know, I'll be honest, I'm the first one to admit that I don't like messes. Um, But I'm, I'm creative and I know and appreciate the importance of a mess in order to dive in and get your ideas um, out there and to really explore ideas, you have to be willing to make a mess. And I think sometimes as parents, we're like, oh, no art time today, you know, no STEM time today, we just need to keep the kitchen clean. I just cleaned it. But uh, you, you do, you have to be willing to go into the world of the unexpected, being creative, and curious means that you got to kind of open it up to what could happen. And usually that includes a little bit of a mess. And you had an experience early on, I think, that probably set that tone for you. You were at a friend's house, you've told me, and it was sparkly and white and clean and everything we, we hope our homes will be or that we see our homes should be in the magazine. But there was a feeling around that that didn't quite feel attractive to you. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, Brooke, this was, oh goodness, this was before Instagram. I think blogging was just barely brand new. So there wasn't even Pinterest at the time. So you could kind of equate this to like the guilt of not having a Pinterest worthy home, but I was physically in her home and I was a new mom and I was so excited for this play date. And I walk in and her house is just gorgeous and immaculate. It was actually an apartment. So it was pretty small. Um, It wasn't an expensive home. It was just very well maintained and she had just cleaned during nap time. And I felt kind of embarrassed because my kids, I think, had mismatching socks and, you know, probably had paint on their fingers from an art project we had just done. Mm -hmm. But when we walked in, um, the kids were so excited to play and they went outside to look out the window. There was a hot air balloon or something. Mm -hmm. And, uh, And the mom said, don't touch the window. I just cleaned it. And then they started to jump on the couch because there was music on or something. Don't jump on the couch. I just vacuumed it. And over the next 20 minutes, I watched those kids and their self-confidence just go down and down Mm -hmm. and down. And pretty soon there was nothing to do and nothing to play. And the kids were whining and crying. And I started to think, you know what? Maybe Maybe my home that's not always perfectly put together is the environment to foster the natural curiosity that kids have and need to learn more about the world. And it gave me a confidence that I I didn't expect to get in that moment. I love that story. I think there's so many things to appreciate about that experience. But as you were talking, the word looseness came to mind. Do you think we need a looseness, a flexibility about not just ourselves, but our physical space in order for kids' creativity and curiosity to really blossom? Yes, I do. And I think, you know, my kids come out of the public school system. My husband's a school teacher. Um, Currently, right now, we're in the pandemic. So so we've chosen to homeschool, which has been a really great choice. Um, And we parent like homeschoolers. But I mention this because when kids are in school, depending on their teacher, depending on their school, um, they need more looseness at home. There is so much uh, scheduled time that our kids are facing more than ever, right? They have scheduled lessons and activities and uh, the the school day. And so their natural way to learn requires looseness. It requires open-ended time. That is definitely what our kids... um, need and developmentally that's what is required for that type of learning and so i for sure support that looseness and and, you know every family is different and rhythms are different i'm not saying everyone has to go out wild in the woods and you know uh unschool their children (laughs) but but that type of looseness is what children actually require to be free to follow their own interests and their own pursuits 
I think every parent has heard an expert or two over their parenting lifetime, you know, promote and champion this idea of boredom. Like, it's good for kids to be bored. We've heard that. Boredom, don't you think, is hardest sometimes on parents? Like, it's hard for me to watch my kids aimlessly wander around and the whines that might come with it or the questions or the, you know, pokes that might come come because of it. But that boredom we know is so important, I think, for parents. How 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 have you created that space in your home to allow your kids that free think moment? I love that question because boredom is, it's really interesting. Boredom is more, in my opinion, a word that bothers parents more than it bothers kids. Kids are saying, I'm bored, I'm bored. But when you dissect it, they're really saying, I want to be close to you, or I'm hungry, or can I sit next to you and, and do something with you? I want to connect. So when a child is saying, I'm bored, we hear, oh my goodness, my kid is not self-sufficient. They can't figure things out. You know, I'm a failed parent. But what a child is really saying is, I want to connect with a person or the world around me and I need some ideas or I need connection. So first of all, looking at I'm bored as not a result of failed parenting. First of all, that just takes the guilt out of it, right? Thank you. Yeah. And then the second thing I like to say to my kids, and I've actually said this word for word, and it sounded kind of fake at first because I pulled it from a book, um, Simplicity Parenting by Kim Payne, which I highly recommend. He says, try on this phrase. He says, um, well, something to do, I bet, is just around the corner. And when you say that to a child, it's immediately redirecting the attention back on them. So when you say, you know what, I bet something to do is just around the corner. You'll figure it out it's redirected back on them. Now the pressure is off you. You're not a bad mom anymore and they get to figure it out. And that's the whole point of curiosity in the home is for them to feel autonomy and ownership of what they want to do and figure out and learn about. So those two things, dissecting what I'm bored really means. Maybe it just means they need a hug. Maybe they need to drink of water. Um, you know, depending on their age, it can mean a lot of things. And then the second to redirect that and put it back on their, in their corner. I just got a neck pinch from nodding so emphatically as you were talking that right there, I think is just such a golden piece of parenting advice. And I appreciate that book recommendation as well. Talk to me about the physical nature of your home, Sarah Jane. How have you physically set up your home to foster curiosity and creativity? You know, we don't have a big home. Um, I just want to put that out there because often we think, oh, well, I don't have a playroom or I don't have this. So just in context, we don't have a large home with, you know, um, all the bells and whistles. But what we have made is space for kids to learn and create in our shared spaces. So for instance, our kids, you know, they're not allowed to, uh, we have a rule in our home that devices are not allowed in a room with the door closed. So um, when they're on a device, even when they're on a device to, you know, listen to an audiobook or whatever, they're in a public space. Um, but what that's done, it's, it's actually created a culture where we're in each other's faces a lot. We're in each other's space a lot. So while we might not be using technology for creative time or educational time, uh, I think that's, you know, created a culture. I, that's something that I've, um, noticed more with the pandemic because we're all on devices now, right? With, yeah. with school and online school and that kind of thing. Um, so we're in shared spaces a lot. Uh, and with that, our home that we had for 10 years, 
We had a room right off the side of the front door. It was literally the room that was designated to be like the dining room, you know, in like a 1970s home. So that uh-huh. that first little room off to the side when you walk in, that's very much in the public eye if you're, you know, walking in and visiting. That was our what we called our learning room. And and what that allowed is we called it the learning room. It's where books were, it's where homework was done, it's where art projects were done. But calling it the learning room automatically set a culture in our home to say, you know what, we learn here. We grow here. Not just at school. We don't just learn at school. We learn in the home. I love that. And you mentioned technology. And so I have to ask, do you really believe technology is the enemy of creativity? Do we we vilify it too much? Can it play a role even in enhancing creativity? Or what's your take on that? Um, I I think it's mixed. You know, we don't, we have Netflix, we have, you know, Amazon. We're very much a, a plugged in family, but we have probably more unplugged time than the average American family. And so for us, technology plays a role. Um, Let me give you a, for instance, my daughter's taking guitar lessons and, you know, my daughter's taking Zoom violin lessons right now. We downloaded some um, illustration courses that my kids wanted to take. So technology plays a huge role, I think, in the education. In terms of uh, what what we get into is what's called passive entertainment. So what we want to avoid is when your kids are always consuming information. So consuming information is when they're just watching something or even too much reading. In my opinion, that's not something everyone will agree with, but our kids are huge bookworms. So I have to sometimes say, stop reading and go outside. <laughs> but I think this she, is huge. Over-consuming. Yeah. Overconsuming. So what you want, so Kenneth and I, when we began our parenting, we said, we want to raise, I'm sorry, we want to raise creators, not consumers. And ultimately, that is the kind of adult we want our kids to grow into, that they are contributors, contributors to the community, that they're builders, they're leaders, and they're creating new ideas and new opportunities rather than consuming society, consuming entertainment. And so it starts at like the youngest age, and it looks like raising a child to think for themselves when it comes to picking the colors of crayon they want to use for their art project. That's raising a creator versus a here's a red, here's a yellow, draw what the YouTube video is showing you how to do. Does that make sense? And Mm so it's um, maybe that's a bad example and you can edit that out, but really it's raising creators, not consumers. And that starts at the most basic fundamental level. I love that. I think I've said I love that like 17 times so far in the 17-minute conversation. I also had a squirrel, kind of a, a, a parallel line of thought, um, collaborators too. I, I feel less guilty about screen time. We always say we share screens at our house. We share screens. Oh. So if my kids are knocking heads together physically and metaphorically over an iPad game, I'm going to feel better about that collaboration, right, playing off your creation than I am if they're just consuming that one-on-one. There's something about that one-on-one that I feel like like makes it makes it even that much more negative yeah. or takes yeah. away from the moment even more so. I don't mind so much when my kids are watching a show together and they're laughing and yes. they're making jokes and they're giggling. Yes. In fact, my kids are huge like you know, as a, for instance, they love Studio C and they love their little shows and they have inside jokes about the shows they like to watch. And you know what? Especially, like I said, in this pandemic, I have four kids and they're all each other's best friends, but they also like to consume the same entertainment, which is a blessing. That's not everybody's situation. But because of that, they have shared experiences. So I love that. Yes, share, yes. We, we share screens. We share when they're screens. one-on-one and they're absorbed in their own world, isolated, that's that's where it gets dangerous. Although, like I said, I think it's balance and moderation in all things. Sure, sure. You experience 
a really cool thing that I can only imagine would be made cooler if I was, I don't know, your 10-year-old, your 12-year-old, your 13-year-old. It's called a take-up party. A take-up party. Tell me what you do. Tell me what this party entails and how it goes down at the right house. Um, I'm trying to remember how it started. I think it was that, um, gosh, years and years ago, we had a junk drawer where we pretty much put all the technology. Well, I put all the technology that I didn't know exactly what it went to. Oh, and it was don't, like, don't get me I'll ask my husband later or I'll ask my yeah. son later, but I have no clue what this adapter is for. <laughs> yes, and yes. so we kind of had this drawer that was filled with Gosh, I mean, things that are, you know, antiques now, right? Like a Walkman and a Discman and like all these, you know, an old phone from who knows when. And uh, my kids were interested in taking it apart or something like that. And I said, you know what? Let's own this. Like, let's really take it apart. And it, it, I, it was a great way to go through the junk drawer, but we called it a take a party and we got out the screwdrivers and, and, you know, some parents will say, Oh, what about batteries and wires? You know what? We're super careful with our kids and they learn how to use tools by using tools. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just putting that little thing out there that uh, we're the type of family that teaches them how to handle a pot of boiling water when they're young because they learn how to not touch hot things when they learn how to not touch hot things. So taking things apart, you know, we're giving them pliers, we're giving them hammers, we're giving them um, scissors to cut things and move things around. And through that experience, you know, kids learn that um, you learn by doing and Mm. you don't learn what the inside of a you know, a remote control looks like until you take it apart. And, you know, there's not much there. It's kind of hokey and fun, but the truth is they are, they're learning how the world works and they're doing it in a safe way at home. And at home, there's something about doing it at home that just instantly says, I can learn whatever I want to learn. If I don't understand, you know, as an adult, you translate into the, as, as an adult or say like a college student, I don't understand this uh, manual. Well, take it apart, figure it out. And so our um, our mantra we use at home is, I borrow from Marie Forleo. Um, I don't know if you're a big fan of hers, but Marie Forleo, she says, everything is figure outable. And so mm. a take a party is a child's version of essentially saying, Figure it out. Everything's Everything figure-outable. is figure outable. So what have you taken apart? Cell phones, Walkmans? Oh gosh. You know, nothing expensive and, and useful. Um, we would sometimes, my husband would actually go to DI and, and actually purchase things for a dollar that were of no good at all and just <laughs> take them apart like an old humidifier or just appliances that, yeah. you know, serve no purpose anymore. But it's really yeah. fun when you open it up and see what's inside. I know you're conscious as well, both you and Kenneth, about um, limiting the family calendar in a way that keeps kids home and keeps their brains free. Is there a rule of thumb, like you can do this many activities, or is it just a general feeling that you try to let be your guide as you're signing up and scheduling for those, you know, arguably really beneficial extracurricular activities? Yeah, you know, we've never had any hard set rules, although I think for myself, um, I'll just say this on air. You know, I grew up in a community where I very much felt pressure uh, by no one else but myself. I'll I'll fully admit it was it was simply just being part of a very suburban community with very active families that I put pressure on myself to have my kids in all the things. And you know, I started to notice this when we specifically said every kid can be involved in one thing outside mm-hmm. of school. 
Mm -hmm. Uh, We didn't want to overcommit them. And they had many interests and many talents, but we also knew that they could explore a lot of those at home. So as my kids got older and I started to feel that pressure, you know, my kids would go outside and play and no one was outside to play because they were all gone. There were no kids to play with after school. And so I started to feel pretty lonely as a parent. I'm just I hope maybe that connects with somebody out there because it can feel very lonely to go against the grain, especially when you're in a tight knit suburban community. And so um, I started to feel like, oh, I'm not giving my kids the best education. You know, they're not going to excel in life. They're not going to get into the best colleges. I'll, I'll be, I'll be honest. I totally fell into that. And um, so I was driving my daughter, I think she was nine to a swim meet meeting. She decided she wanted to be on swim team, which there's nothing against swim team, but she was also doing a school play and she was doing a a community choir and blah, blah, blah. I was pregnant or who knows what, but I was very much not feeling good about it. And we were on the way to the swim meeting and you know what? We just turned around and went home. And I just remember driving home bawling. And I said, no, we can't just do all the things. We can do one thing at a time. Um, But that aside, I'll jump more into principle. Jumping more into principle is that when we overschedule our kids, we don't give them the permission to explore new ideas. Um, Having lessons is really important for skill, uh, skill acquisition. But before the age of nine or 10, they need exploration to develop and explore new ideas. Once they get into the ages of 10, 11, 12, and they're starting to kind of hone in on what they get excited about, that is when skills, we can focus a little bit more on um, developing those skills. But by that point, hopefully it is just one or two things, right? Yeah, yeah, please. No, I think that's welcome (laughs) advice and welcome perspective. What does a creative home feel like, Sarah Jane? What does a what does a curious home feel like? What's the vibe? What's the buzz? In other words, I don't want to set a strict be- benchmark here as we talk about you know creativity and free flowing of ideas. But how do I know as a mom if I'm if I'm producing that or or offering that to my family? That is such a good question. Um, I'm going to offset a little bit and tell you that um, I'm an artist. I also studied music and theater um, at BYU. My husband uh, was a professional dancer and actor and plays the guitar. And I mean, we have, my husband and I come from a a lot of artistic background. Um, And I want to put that out there because a lot of parents will say, oh, well, I'm not artistic. So automatically I'm, I'm not going to be able to build a creative home. I'm out. Totally. That's not my thing. You know, I, we do sports in our family. Like that's just not our thing. Well, we recognized really quickly that when we were married and kind of talking about our parenting, that the chances of our having children that had artistic interests was actually, you know, maybe a little higher because we enjoy those things, but it wasn't an automatic. And we grew up in homes where our parents actually didn't have crazy artistic skills. They just gave us permission to try a lot of things. And so we just happened to, you know, innately choose those artistic paths. And so we decided that, you know what, we're not going to push any of our own talents on our kids. We just want to give them the opportunity to try. So I want to put that out there because while Kenneth and I, yes, we enjoy the arts, um, which are naturally more creative, you know, disciplines. We didn't push that on our kids, actually. Um, But we created an environment of learning. So we had books everywhere and we read books all the time. We would read out loud. My husband, you know, was reading chapter books to our kids at bedtime by the time they were three. And just the idea that learning can happen in the home, it just means they're going to explore their own ideas. So for instance, my son is more mechanically minded. And so we 
gave him opportunities to explore robotics and STEM and all those things. I, gosh, I'm terrible at science. That is not my thing, but I gave him room to explore it. And so I think a creative home just looks like you have permission to explore new ideas and you're, um, there's a lot of opportunities to spark those ideas. So it's more about the opportunity than it is I think so. And that opportunity doesn't have to look like things. It can look like dinner conversations. So for instance, you know, my, uh, let me give you an example. What did you learn at school today? Oh, I learned about North and South America. Well, what did you learn and why? And just having those discussions, I think Mm -hmm. promotes the idea that, um, that you can get curious and it's safe to get curious. Mm -hmm. I think curiosity and creativity are tied, especially for children, you know? How as a mom are you filling your curiosity slash creative bucket when you're when you're striving to provide that for your four kids to create that atmosphere in your home? How do you keep your own bucket full? Oh, that's such a good question. Well, I'll be honest. The like I said, we're recording this during the pandemic. I I've it's been hard. It's been really yeah. hard. Um, carving out time deliberately, I think, is important. Um, I've had to be really creative with, you know, moving our family. We just barely moved, by the way, across the country. Um, for me, I get I get excited about solving problems. Um, creativity to me is about taking two ideas and making a new one. So solving problems for me is exciting. My actual um, interests, for instance, with like art and illustration, that's something that I have to carve out time for. Thankfully, I'm I you know my husband's very supportive, and he'll say, you know what. I got the kids tonight. Just go lock yourself in your studio. Go and, do your thing. And go do your thing. But yeah. that, that still does take deliberate carved out time. Well, and I ask because I think, you know, I've been talking parenting and family family research long enough to know that every solid parenting principle comes back to that look in the mirror moment as a parent. So if we're sitting here carving out time as we have today to talk about creating a curious home and and promoting a creative atmosphere within the walls of our own house, I think that has to start with you to some extent, right? If, if you're the mom reaching for the book or reaching for whatever medium it is, or at least engaging in the thought-provoking conversation, that's going to rub off faster than any prescribed to do or prescribe yes. activity. It really is true. It's kind of like if you're, you know, I would say, um, I'll give you an example. My husband, when the smartphones came out years ago, you know, and the Kindle, he would start reading on a screen, right? For pleasure. And I kind of nudged him. I'm like, you know what? Our kids aren't going to learn to love books if they think you're just scrolling the internet. <laughs> he was reading a book, right? Yeah, but, yeah. It's, but but to that point, your kids are watching you and they're watching how you are filling that bucket and it gives them permission to do the same. So while we still read on Kindles and I'm not dissing that, I'm just saying how important it is for you to pay attention that they're watching you. So for instance, yeah. my profession is an artistic one. And so they see me um, engage that way professionally. Um, if it wasn't my profession, I would just make sure that they're, you know, noticing that I'm taking time out to be thoughtful and learn new things and creative too. Yes. Yeah, so this is important to mom. This is important yeah. to me. And they'll see and value that as well. What projects are keeping you busy and occupied right now, Miss Sarah Jane? I'm always so eager and excited to hear what you have coming down the pipe. You know, just this year, uh, I I have a a business called Raising Wonder that I've started to really help parents and families have more creativity and curiosity in the home. And so we've developed some curriculum to have parents either download units or art lessons or uh, nature camp activities, ways for kids all ages. I think we 
put it around ages three to 10 to really engage in the creative process. The process is what's most important, right? So Mm -hmm. we've created some um, activities for kids to either, if they like art, do art lessons, or if they like um, crafts, we have crafts or STEM activities, ways for them to really engage in the creative process. So that's actually been really a fun project for me. Uh, So much of what I do, I'll be honest, is, is spontaneous and it's for my own family, but my husband being an educator, and in fact, he's actually um, getting his doctorate right now in, in educational psychology, specifically on creativity in, in uh, the child. Isn't that cool? That he, can, that he can study that. It's amazing. Um, and, and how creativity is so important to have in the classroom and what that looks like. So we've made these um, downloadable, printable books and eBooks and units for kids to stay creative. That's been really fun for me. In addition to... Um, uh, designing new fabric and, and illustrating and writing books that are ongoing projects. Well, and I haven't had a chance to thank you, and this is long overdue, but Raising Wonder started out as an Instagram account, which I hungrily subscribed to. I was, I think, one of the first ones to be like, me, 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 follow, follow, follow. And then when the pandemic did close in fast on us in spring of 2020, you were the first one to step up and start providing these practical, tangible, control print, you know, worksheets and and doodle sheets and design sheets that helped fill my home during that downtime when schools were closed and businesses were closed. And it was that creative outlet that so many families were craving. So thank you is what I'm getting at. Thank you for all you're putting out in the world. I don't think I realized that. I'm so glad to know that, Brooke. You were it. You were the lifeline for many, many weeks. I know others shortly followed your example and and started supplementing as well. But from the beginning, you were right there. I think passing out what you were doing as a parent, taking the experiences in your own home and sharing those with us, it was a gift. How's my favorite Lola Dutch, my favorite children's book character? Will will we see more of her in the future? I hope so. You know, right now it's on pause. I I think um, we have three books that we've written with Lola Dutch. And right now we're taking a little bit of a, of a pause. It's, it's, um, a logistical, you know, business decision. That's, uh, probably a result of what our world is going through right sure, now. Sure. But, um, the Lola Dutch principle, the, the principle behind these picture books are that, um, this little girl is insatiably curious and that she can get creative and creativity takes courage. So we're just adding on to that, kind of idea. Yes. And uh, Lola has, you know, she's got a party line. There's pajamas coming out um, this winter. You know, there's products that we have so many Lola Dutch fans and and we've just loved meeting all these families that have really taken them into our home. (laughs) One of them is my five-year-old. She was so proud to size up to a size six coat this winter. And the first thing she grabbed was her Lola Dutch pin from her size five coat and put that on her size six coat. It slid right up with her in the size (laughs) chart. So she goes with her wherever she goes. Sarah, I admire you so much. Thank you for taking time and inspiring us with these. I mean, I was like grasping to take notes. So I'm glad I have this now captured to revisit this conversation because you dropped some some gold, some parenting gold for us today, and we're grateful for it. Oh, thank you so much, Brooke. I just love chatting with you. It's so great. Likewise. Take care. Tell Kenneth hello. Okay. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Family Rules, the podcast on BYU Radio. Our topic today, how to foster creativity and curiosity in the home. Special thanks to our guest, Sarah Jane Wright. If you liked this conversation, if it spoke to you, we'd invite you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a note as well. A nice one will do, but we'll take any form of feedback, a rate or a view to let us know how we're doing and how we can better serve you and your family. Thanks for listening. Family Rules, the podcast is a production of BYU Broadcasting.